0: Of radical self acceptance. My second book. Go check it out at obscuredbook.com for more. Do you need a speaker for your next engagement? Hop help? Safety help? Help with learning teams? All the above? The Hop Nerd can help you do safety better. Head over to safetybetterment.com. Dot com or send an email to sam at thehotnerd.com to book your time now. The 2021 calendar is filling up. So let me know. I look forward to helping you do safety better. everybody, Sam Goodman, The Hop Nerd, bringing you another episode of The Hop Nerd Podcast. Whew, whew, that one was a, I held that note there for a minute. Jesus it t- took the breath out of me. That was quite impressive, if I do say so myself. How are you doing today? I'm doing absolutely excellent. Coming to you from the sunny and the beautiful Hop Nerd studios here in the downtown Phoenix, Arizona. Well, I guess it's the Pell Horse Media Co. studio. Wh- whatever, whatever we want to call it. I'm coming to you from Phoenix, and I'm here to chat. How, how? does that work? Try that one on for size. I'm here to talk about all things safety better. That's what we're going to do, right? That's what we always get down to. But before we get down to those things, do me a favor. Head over to www.thehopnerd.com Follow along on all things social media, except for Twitter, because it is super duper special. It is The Hop Nerd 1. Go check me out on the gram. I have been gramming it up. I neglected Instagram for... Many, many moons. And now I'm back. I don't know. I just, I don't know. I just, Instagram is one of those things I had deleted a long time ago. Um, Other than like a Facebook to keep up with like some family and super close friends. um, Believe it or not, I don't really have much personal social media. I just don't enjoy it. Um, I'd rather spend my time with you guys on that end of my social media. So when I'm not chatting with you, I'm not on social media, right? I'm like going doing other things that I enjoy more. So um, Instagram was one of those things that kind of got axed out of my life. And then I just kind of more recently got back into it again under the uh, Hop nerd flag, under the Hop nerd moniker. So uh, it's a pretty interesting look. If you're not following along there, head over and just find me. It's the Hop nerd, like I said. Uh, And just follow along. It should give you a little bit different of a window (laughs) into my life that you might not necessarily get uh, on a LinkedIn or elsewhere. So again, go check all of that stuff out. Make sure you head over to Pellhorsemedia.co for all things indie publishing, all things cool. There's just cool stuff happening. Uh, I'm helping some folks with some cover designs for their books. I'm helping folks with some podcasts. Speaking of which, speaking of which, one of my very near and dear friends launched a podcast. Uh, a, A friend that has been on this show several times. The one and only Mr. Ian Allison. I would encourage you to go over and listen to his podcast. Make sure you like it. You follow along. He's going to be doing some awesome stuff there. Uh, I've been tuning in, and I like it. I love it. i got to have more of it. It's called Native Film Talk. And, and here's a little humble brag. If you like the intro and outro music... He come by the studio and we uh, we helped, helped him work that up here so again if you're uh, if you're rocking a podcast or hoping to start a podcast and you need some help, voila we're here at pellhorsemediaco.com or PaleHorseMedia.co. Co same thing with books if you got an idea for a book and you just don't know what to do call pellhorsemedia.co. Co. Yeah, there we go. I like that. So let's dive right in today. Let me shut up and quit ranting about all the stuff that's going on in my world. And let me tell you about the amazing conversation that we have today. We are joined by the one, the only, the amazing. And P.S. It took a while for this conversation to actually happen. You know, my schedule's nuts. Uh, This gentleman's schedule is nuts. And it finally happened, and I loved it. And I can't wait to have him back again. The one, the only, the amazing. Dave Proven. So I'm just going to shut up, and uh, you can just listen to uh, to to me chat with Dave about all things uh, safety and hop, and we talk a lot about the role of the safety practitioner. So here's me shutting up. Who are you? Let's start there.
1: So who who am I, mate? Look, I'm I'm just simply Dave, um, and and everyone who I work with and and friends with just know me as Dave, and. Um, all I've ever done in my adult life is is safety you know and, and I had my experience about ten years ago where I just went man safety sucks you know like um, <laughs> um, like you know Sam and and um, and I was trying to leave the profession for a year or so and I went man, you can't do anything from from a safety role you know you can't you can't really change anything so I'm going to go and take a management job I'm going to create this awesome. Um, safety environment in my team, and 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 show the world what this case study can look like. But you know, I couldn't get a I couldn't get a real job outside of safety. No one to give me a a real management job. So I was kind of stuck there. And I thought, well, okay, if you if you're not part of the solution, you know, you're part of the problem. So go get a PhD, go figure out what this what this safety role looks like, and um and go from there. So that was it. That was about ten years ago, and. And um, sort of that's that's been the story the last ten years. Try and try and figure out what we're what we're trying to do in organisations and how to make it work.
0: Yeah, that's that's so cool. Let me let me ask you this because so many folks that I uh, that I talk to, um, I, I obviously get a lot of mail around kind of. The stories of how safety sucks, right? I, 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 it's, which is awesome. I didn't, I didn't anticipate that, right? But I get a lot of uh, um, a lot of letters, a lot of DMs, you know. Around, let me tell you this. Let me tell you this story around how safety sucks. You, you've never seen anything like this. What was what was some of that experience that kind of led you down that path of wanting to step away? the profession because because I was there too I, I was I was like I'm like I've got stuff in banker's boxes like ready to load stuff into my car and I'm to the point of going I'll live under a bridge before I do this job one day longer <laughs> right so what what got you to that point because I think it's I an interesting thing
1: yeah look I don't know I mean I mean one story is like you know I had a CEO call me into his office and say like um you know Dave I, I need you to issue a policy that you know, like didn't like casual Fridays, you know, where people turn up on Fridays in their T-shirts. He goes, I need you to issue me a policy to say, you know, people can't wear thongs on on a Friday, you know, because they might, you know, trip down the stairs. Right. And I'm like, I've done all this work in this organisation to try to make, you know, safety relevant and try to create good relationships and goodwill to just turn around to the IT, IT department and say, here's a new safety policy, you can't wear your thongs. I've gone yeah. to the CEO if you don't like people wearing thongs, just tell them you're the CEO. Just tell them you don't like wear like don't like people wearing thongs. Don't try and drag the safety department into this and say like you know I want you to issue a policy that is unsafe because you might fall down the stairs. Right. Like you know that's not what the safety department's for.
0: Yeah, you end up you end up being the enforcer, right? You're, yeah, go like, forth with your bat and and do 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 my bidding, right? Yeah, exactly <laughs> it was,
1: right. It's like oh well, I'll get the safety department to say it because then no one will question it. And meanwhile, you know like just dragging the safety, the safety team through the mud, just trying to solve all of these things that managers are just too afraid to confront head on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, when I found myself in that position, uh, a lot of it was, was probably coming from a similar, similar place was um, just being kind of fed up with this traditional approach. Uh, I, I grew up in, in power maintenance in the construction side of things. I grew up uh, mostly working for uh large scale contractors in in kind of the nuclear generation space. Uh and it seemed like every organization that I went to personally, um, it's like, okay, everybody stand in front of the zero banner and take your picture and, and sign the sign the sign this thing that says you're gonna be, you know, a very safe person and nothing bad will happen. And then we beat and flog and tar and feather when something eventually <laughs> bad does happen. Uh and then eventually it seems like the the safety practitioner always ended up on the 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 wrong side of that beating usually when something not so great did happen, right? And you're going, well, if I'm responsible to try to, um, I don't know, maybe stop everything, maybe this isn't the right place, place for me to <laughs> be. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm going to go somewhere else. So it was just out of out of frustration, I guess, is where I've, I kind of ended up there similarly. I was like, well, see y'all. <laughs> I'm yeah. Gonna do, I'm going to go do something else, you know. I will gladly, yeah, look, gladly do something else. <laughs> yeah, look, it's it, it, it's a hard. It's hard. I, I say to,
1: to – um, I, I, I say a lot to people that um, – you know, the, the safety job, I would argue, is the hardest job in the business. You know, you need to know everything that's happening from, you know, the board and the CEO through to the front line. You're the only real function that cares how people actually do their job, like you know, how work actually happens. And and then you've got to kind of know all the different departments, how how HR works and procurement works and engineering works and project management and IT and and all this stuff. So so you've got to kind of understand every every part of the organization and then at the end of the day, you're not actually able to make any decisions. So everything yeah. that you want to try to make happen, you've got to influence other people to to do something. So um, I, I say to people, look, it's, it, it's a hard job. It's a people job. If you're not if you if you're not the kind of person who's prepared to stand there and just bash your head against the wall, and if you're not the kind of person who right. just loves. Loves this sort of thing, just just meeting people and talking to people like you 're in the wrong job, just go get a job, no offense to any of your listeners, but just go get an yeah. accounting job and sit behind sure. a, a spreadsheet and, um,
0: and just don 't stress out. yeah, you have to be willing to have that little small dent in the wall in your office somewhere <laughs> where, where your head has founded several times right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But I think you bring up something really interesting because to me that 's ultimately what kept me there was was um, no, number one i 've shared this story before, but one of my friends that kind of knew that I was on the verge of running away. Um, actually dropped uh, one of Sydney's books on my desk, and I was like, th- it blew my mind at the time. It was it was it was the Safety Differently book, which is a horrible yep. place to start on that journey. By the way, oh yeah, that's crazy. Not yeah. read that book to start, but it was so different from everything that I experienced up until that point. Right, that it's like okay can actually do something differently here i'm not saying it would be with this employer right? i might have to leave and go somewhere else to play in the sandbox but there's there's something happening that's different right we can kind of move away from some of the things that were frustrating me um but to to the point that you were making there the, the more important point it was the people right it was the interactions it was it was those relationships that i was like i don't want to give that away that's I, that's my favorite yeah. part about about yeah
1: yeah through. a couple like um and that was that was kind of my experience. Like when I tried to get work outside of safety, the problem that I had was I was too senior. Like I was already like an executive manager of safety. I was reporting to a chief executive, and I was I was um, um, responsible for the whole Asia Pacific region. I had operations in China and in in Southeast Asia. And um, from a safety point of view, and then you know if I was going to take a job in in a management job, I was going to step back like three four. Levels in in the ladder, and they said, "Look, you're just getting paid too much. You're too senior. You can't yeah. you can't move." So I'm like, "Oh, well, that's that's an interesting dilemma to kind of have." <laughs> <Yeah>. But um, <laughs> but I was the same. I just went. So my my excuse for that was, "Well, I'm going to kind of manage manage safety on my own terms." And this is mm-hmm. twenty two thousand oh Oh, this is two thousand eight, maybe two thousand nine. Manage safety on my own terms. So I just started doing things which we'd probably now say as well, at, even at the time. But I was unaware of all the all the literature, but, um, just started doing things that was sort of really worker focused. And then when Sydney, um, Sydney came out to Australia in 2011 or so 2012, um, I just rang him up at the lab one day and I said, mate, look, all this stuff that you're talking about, look, I think we're doing it. Can you come and have a look at what we're doing and give us yeah. some tips? And, you know, that was just because I felt that that was the way that, that safety should be managed, you yeah. know, by, by, the workforce for the workforce. And, um, that's kind of the rest is kind of like, he was like, yeah, well, that's it. That's, that's how this stuff's done. And um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> we had some
1: disagreements from there, but, um, but, um, but most of, most of the way through it's been, yeah, that's, um, that's what we're trying to do with that's all of this. Good.
0: Yeah. So let me, let me ask you this. I think this is, um, this is an interesting question I've been asking um, some friends mostly um, as we kind of go down this path of the evolving role of the safety practitioner. Um. What do you think if you if you could sum that up in one sentence in a perfect world and i won't I won't hold you to one if you want to go a little bit farther, but what should the role of the safety practitioner be because we find ourselves in those positions as we kind of mentioned, it just kind of all gets lumped on right um, so many practitioners that I talk to they are like, yeah, I, I took this job with that in mind of wanting to go and have those relationships and focus on." uh, really worker focused safety. And now I find myself in this position where I'm drafting that policy or now I'm, I've kind of lumped into this position to where now they want me to take on HR responsibility too. And they, they want me to do this and that. And because many practitioners find themselves in that role as, as, as we, as we many of us are painfully aware, right? We find ourselves kind of doing, well, you know, technically the way that the chairs are placed in the lunchroom is a safety concern. So we want you to manage that as well. Um, in a perfect role, what, what would that role what, what, how would you how would you paint that role?
1: Yeah, look, I um I mean my my most of my research has been on the safety profession. My PhD title was was what is the role of a safety professional? And look, the the role that I that I painted at the end was to um to you know, the role is to create foresight about the changing shape of risk in an organization and, and yeah. facilitate action before people are harmed. So if you're going to look through that role in your business, it's like, okay, so what's happening? What what could happen tomorrow or next week? Like look at what's happening in your business today and go, okay, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next week? And if that looks bad, um, get in front um, in any way, shape, or form that you can of the people who make decisions about the business and say this is the trajectory that we're on and and we need to do something before people get hurt. And so that that's really Really, the role. So, looking through all those policies and all of that, all all of that stuff that you do, and go, okay, how do I know what's happening in my business today, and how do I how do I know what it means for tomorrow, and who's going to make sure that it doesn't end badly? because yeah. um, like, yeah. if we're not looking forward, we're just counting the number of people
0: that get hurt. Right. Right. Well and, and that seems where we, we often find ourselves with a lot of organizations, right? It's kinda of, kind of counting counting those beans of injury a lot of times, right? And then really looking backwards instead of as we kind of said looking looking forward with that. Um, let me let me pull back a little bit and because um, I, I didn't mention this kind of as we started down down the intro. But what ultimately drew you to the profession to begin with? Because um, you mentioned you kind of you spent tons and tons of time in the profession, and then kind of ran away, right? You, if I if I heard that correctly, you then ran away to get a PhD, right? So what what drew you to the profession to start with? Um, what, how did you find yourself in this this wacky wonky world of of being a safety person, safety? Practice? Look, I um,
1: yeah, look, I stu- I stumbled in. It's like I said, it's the only job I've done. I i i did a I did a psychology degree in in university or college after I left school. And, you know, I was just fascinated in, in something that was, was interesting to me. This was in the nineties. And I think at the time I dreamt of, um, of just, you know, going to Hollywood and being a therapist and, and just mm-hmm. helping, helping people with, um, you know, with their life. And so, you know, that's what I was doing. And, and, you know, my, my, my father's always been pretty influential on me. And he he said, like, um, when I, there was a mandatory, there was a mandatory safety courses because they'd merged the psychology course with the health and safety course. And there was the, all these mandatory safety courses. And um, I really enjoyed the psychology, but I was actually, yeah, you know, one day, I don't know, I was maybe 18 or 19 years old and talking to my father, he goes, look, because he was in in insurance. Mm-hmm. And at the time he was involved heavily in all of these um, public liability claims and, and, and all of this stuff going on in the late 80s, mid 90s, through to the mid 90s as man, if you do this safety stuff, this is going to become really important to companies. You know, this is, this is, you, you going to have a job for life and this is going to be really good. So, yeah, I just ended up, um, doing all of the safety studies through that program and, and walked straight out of uni into a, into a really, you know, at the time was a, was a well-paid graduate job in a, in a railway company as a, yeah, like, um, 20 year old. And, um, you know, that was the rest is kind of history. Like, um, but you know, it was this—it was this really nice mix of being interested in people and just fascinated by by people, um, being kind of an extroverted guy, and, um, and just following fatherly advice into something that was going to be relevant in two decades' time.
0: Yeah, that's amazing, and it? it's amazing that kind of winding road that leads you into into the profession. I always like to ask that because it's so amazing to hear. Um, from safety folks, how they found themselves in this job because some of them get some really windy roads into <laughs> this job. You know? It's a really, it's a really interesting conversation to have. Um, as we kind of continue onto this, this, this kind of thought of um role of practitioner, all of those things. I, I, where do you think the profession goes next? I guess would be would be something interesting um i think to hear your stance on because um we're seeing it evolve quite a bit right with a lot of changes in approaches and a lot of different changes in kind of ideologies behind safety uh we're obviously seeing the role change a little bit as we kind of i don't want to say move from more traditional to more um different approaches in, into into worker safety but where do you think the role is you know 10 15 20 years from now what what does that role look like does it even still exist <laughs> in in industry? look
1: I, I- You know, I'm, I'm really hopeful and, 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 and I, and I believe that the role still exists. Um, I think the role gets more important to organizations. Um, and, and why do I say that? So, um, there's a number of practitioners who say, look, my role in an organization is to do myself out of a job, you know? And, and I think I kind of call BS on that because, um, because you're just not thinking big enough about, about your role, because there's always a role for people to look at what's going on in the business through the lens of safety right. and go, look, you know, because over time, you know, we know that things drift, we know that gold conflict comes into an organisation, we know that management life is really tough. And there's always, I believe, a, a role for people who, you know, put the thumb on the scale of safety and say, hey, hang on a minute, you know, there's, there's something that needs to be done here. So, look, I, I believe there's a role. Um, I believe we need to evolve how we contribute to organisations because I don't think the quality profession did that. So if you look at what's happened to quality management, it's like, well, um, that's largely gone outside of, you know, some manufacturing businesses and and healthcare and pharmaceuticals and a few others. You know, from what we've seen with Volkswagen and, and all these other manufacturing businesses, they go, well, we've got a massive quality department and our product quality issues are still there. These guys have been hiding behind ISO 9000 quality manuals and haven't really impacted on the quality of the product. And, and I think that's where safety is. It's like hiding behind all these safety policies without actually really, you know, people in the organisation seeing the safety profession impact on, you know, as we'd say, I suppose, um, the safety of work or as I'd say. So so I think we've got to really be clear to to organisations about our value proposition, our contribution. But then I think we can play a far more central role in businesses than we play today. You know, I think um, community expectations and stakeholder-shareholder type expectations are only going to keep increasing, you know, in terms of what we see now for the expectation on companies to keep their people safe. That's that's not going away. That's going to get um, greater. So, you know, my vision for the safety profession, if we can, you know, if we can step up in our capability and step up in our contribution, I think we can be um, very pivotal roles in organisations in the next 10 or 20 years. Yeah, particularly up, uh, particularly post COVID, you know, like the whole world's had this wake up on 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 the need to be connected to their workforce, the need to understand health and safety, the need to understand raft of things, just where where people are at from a well being point of view, and I
0: think I think safety can play a big role in that entire space. I think that's something that's that I've seen. I'm, I'm sure you've seen it as well. And don't get me wrong, I'm not. I'm not kind of tooting the horn of the profession here at all, but I did see some amazing things happen with with a lot of practitioners that really stepped in to innovate as we kind of found ourselves in this situation. It was it was almost like not almost it really was we were forced into innovation. So even organizations that are big, old, and clunky, some that are hard to turn in different directions, became very nimble, very fast, right? And kind of given uh, give they really did turn over a lot of free reign to practitioners to figure out how we deal with this, right which was which was really interesting to see um, the level of experimentation that many organizations would have never been comfortable with. Um, but now that we've been forced into this we, there's not much choice. Um, what are some of the lessons you think that we learned coming out of it because that's one that I see is that uh, I can speak just just from the organizations that I, that I come into contact with. Um, that it kind of opened their eyes to the need to maybe experiment a little bit more and to get a little—I don't want to say loosey-goosey with some of this, but to <laughs> to micro-experiment, right? And to to try things. And it's okay to to try and fail and and to try something. And it is okay to maybe incur a failure around that and learn from it and move on. And maybe it's not okay just to accept. Kind of, um, I come from the utility industry, so I always have to kind of poke a little bit uh, into this kind of wide spread benchmarking to where we basically get in lockstep with industry and we're never willing to try anything outside of all of our peers. Um, so in this situation, we found that we had to do that because our peers had no clue what to do either. <laughs> right, So we, we were all kind of left up to our own devices. Um, what 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 are some of the learnings that maybe you saw as we kind of come out of this, this COVID era? Yeah, look,
1: um, I mean, necessity is the mother of all innovation, I, I, I guess. And um, I think I've seen I've seen I've seen organisations sort of or safety practitioners in organisations have 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 two roles in this whole um, COVID thing. The first role is, um, all right, now I'm working at home and I'm going to sit behind my desk and wait until someone calls me and then just make sure that the reports go out when the reports need to go out. That sort of passive type role, and then I've seen safety practitioners just really step into the breach, if you like, and and be the most valuable person in their business to their chief executive or something, and. And you know, sideline entire management structures. Just got this CEO and this this safety practitioner that are basically running this company. You know, like how do we, yeah. you know, how do we think about people at the center of all these decisions, and how do we connect directly with the workforce, and what do they need um, in their roles, and 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 how are we going to manage this? And I think, um, like you said about micro-experimenting, I think um, it's been fertile ground for safety practitioners to try different things. And, and credit to all of those safety practitioners who've taken the opportunity to um, seed thoughts in their business and, and, and little projects. Um, I think the real test of a practitioner is, is their ability to, um, you know, uh, um, create experiments when things are steady state, like that's, that's that's a real test of your ability to create change in an organization. But look, it's been a perfect opportunity for, for safety practitioners to, um, to, like you say, not loosey goosey, but just try to have the, um, the threshold The threshold loosened for them to get the ability to try some slightly different things and 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 hopefully hopefully most of the people who listen to your podcast are um are taking that opportunity with two hands and and doing some right. great things
0: right I think we've seen that uh, in several things as well um, One of the more interesting spots for me has been in and around um, the rules within organizations in general we, we quickly threw out the rules that were not necessary. <laughs> Right. I noticed that even even at least here stateside, even around um, our regulators, they're very quick to say we're suspending this, this, this and this and this until we're back to where this this makes sense. <laughs> right? So it's very interesting to see um, the rules that mattered, I guess, is the right way to put that kind of leaning into the, you know, kind of the rules that we, we do lean on, the policies and procedures that we do lean on when things get um, maybe a little scary. And how quickly the ones that didn't matter that much went into the trash can. <laughs> right? I think, so I think it's going to be kind of kind of the postmortem of this, of this whole thing is going to be very interesting to look back on those rules very reflectively and say, well, if we didn't really need them, why are they there to begin with? Right? I, think, I think it's going to be interesting to have some of those conversations and kind of dig into, um, well, we leaned on that and that was really important. Why? Right? And we quickly abandoned that why (laughs) right (laughs) yeah
1: and look i think um i think that's going to be the role of the safety practitioner like we spoke about to try to try to have those conversations because there'll be this inertia or this 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 tendency in organizations just to revert as soon as we think this threat's gone and as soon as we think we can we can have some kind of normal then let's just roll back to how we used to manage and and i think part of the safety practitioner's job will be critical about that because you know we work with um you know some large, well, at least one large commercial airline, and they realised that once they started in this in this world that we're in now, their safety management system kind of didn't um, didn't apply, didn't didn't create um, what they needed in terms of how they were managing in this sort of environment. So they kind of almost I don't want to sort of um, be too blasé with a commercial airline and safety, but they kind of really had to reinvent their safety management system really right. quickly. Um, and, you know, that's, that's my hope is that, you know, all the stakeholders involved in this regulators and managers and, and safety practitioners understand that, you know, maybe, maybe the way that we've been managing safety sort of pre, pre-COVID is not the way that we should go back to managing it. Um, that would be my hope anyway.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think for me as well. I mean, that's that's what I find to be so interesting. As we kind of mentioned, as we started down a little bit of the COVID conversation, was how quickly these these organizations that are n- not necessarily known for their nimbleness quickly uh-huh. become become adaptive and nimble, right? <laughs> can juke and move through this situation very quickly when they're very, when they're known to be these kind of Goliaths that are very slow and and, and methodical and just not moving in any direction really too fast. <laughs>
1: yeah look um we i mean with some some really traditional companies some stories that have come out you know through our network with some really traditional companies like companies like say you know ports for example which you know load and unload ships and and traditionally it look you know century old um organizations that you know are really really industrially and really heavily unionized and and have 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 relationships and way of working and we've seen kind of like CEOs and safety practitioners connect directly with the frontline workforce and even had a CEO come and tell me like, you know, I don't know what the heck all of these middle managers do because in this whole COVID thing, they've been gone. We've had a couple of senior managers connecting directly with the frontline workforce, making decisions every day about what needs to happen. And I don't know if I need all these middle managers and all (laughs) these functions and, you know, departments and all this, because, you know, we've just been, we've been working absolutely fine just you know, yeah.
0: CEO talking directly to the frontline supervisor. This is what I need you to do and let's get on with it. Well, and and that's, what, that's what many of those frontline supervisors, it seems, in a lot of those organizations have been asking for for a very long time is that <laughs> conversation, that direct line in kind of both directions either way, right? That's yeah. the same thing that the CEO has been asking for in a lot of ways instead of this kind of kind of game of a of, of phone tag or this phone game that we played down, down through the organization. And I
1: think that's the, um. The, I mean, I had a CEO say to me once, he called me into his office to ask me some question about our organization. And I'm like, you know, why the, why the, why are you asking me this? Um, You know, this isn't a safety question just, um, and we had a great relationship. He goes, look, because by the time a supervisor tells his boss 80% of the truth and they tell their boss 80% of the truth and they tell their boss 80% of the truth by the time, by the time someone who works for me is, telling me what's going on it's you know the whole thing's just you know fictional because because it's filtered all the way through the line he goes look I know you as the safety um practitioner I know um you know every corner of this organization you've been on every site you've spoken to every frontline supervisor if I talk to you I get the unfiltered view of what's going on in my business I don't want to get it through five or six levels of a management chain because it means nothing to me
0: Right, And that, that's so interesting because even even going the opposite direction, right? Coming down from the C-suite down <laughs> through the organization, it seems that things are filtered for time and importance, right? And then it just slowly, you finally end up with this, this one little tidbit of information that usually ends up not great, <laughs> right? By, by the time it actually gets to, to the front line or employee. So it's so interesting, as you kind of mentioned, to see a lot of that kind of go away kind of mid-COVID. Um, and I think it's probably some of this. Uh, Because we, we, organizations, we create clunk just in general, right? (laughs) And the way, I love the way you put it, uh, you know, focusing on um, the safety of work rather than creating safety work, right? And I I think we see so much of that just in organizations in general, well beyond safety, right? We, We just create clunky systems a lot of times that require a lot of just administratium in general. Right, a Big organizations seem to love to cling to paperwork in some form or another, some process that includes paperwork or checks of this and checks of that that are all documented and, and run yep. through our legal departments. And this it just ends up in this, this massive three ring binder of stuff. Um, so I think in a lot of those roles, at least what I've personally seen around the utility space is we end up seeing a lot of managers that are managers of things rather than leaders of people. Right, they're 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 managing programs and they're managing paper yep. and they're managing the things that the organization has made important for them to manage, and they've lost sight on the fact that they need to be leading their people. But the organizations kind of tuned them in that direction, the demands that have been placed upon them, right? Uh, but it's 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 interesting to see that kind of disappear now that we're going. Well, none of that's really important right now. Put that on pause. How do we just make things work at a basic level right now? <laughs> How do yeah, we see operational? Okay, you
1: know yeah, look, organizations, I mean, that's how they work. And and I see that with um that'd be my call out to um, you know, the effectiveness of of a safety practitioner is that um and I see this in 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 organizations with safety teams that maybe don't have the 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 ability to influence, you know, people and the ability to influence the way that work happens. It's like, well, I'm sitting here at my desk, I'm a safety person. What what do I have the ability to do? And if you don't have the ability to do those things, things, okay, I can write another policy or I can write another procedure and I can go to management and say, I now want this form to be filled out or I now want this to be done. And if that's kind of like where you're, um, if that's the only lever you've got in the business, then that's the lever that you're going to pull hard. And I think as you get in large and larger organizations, um, that becomes an obvious lever for, for, for people to pull on. And and you're right. What's happening right now is, um, companies are, are just going, all that stuff isn't the most important thing at the moment. And um and, and we're seeing it disappear. And no one's, you know, people aren't dying and people aren't getting hurt. So, you know, I really, um, you know, I'm hoping companies and safety practitioners are, you know, are going to reflect and go, well, all that stuff didn't really change. Um, you, know, it didn't, you know, it wasn't a game changer for the organization. Yeah. So do we need it all back?
0: And I think that's it. I think that's a really important conversation to have. And I'm hoping that that's maybe some of the silver lining that comes out of this for for our organization is, is some of that conversation, right? Is what's truly important, right? Now, I, I don't think any of us are going to advocate to just burn rules completely out of organizations. Rules, rules, I think have a have a place in organizations. Right? As much as I want to be a complete anarchist, I, I can't go complete anarchy, right? Um, I guess I'd be more of an organizational minarchist. I guess would be the be terminology I would use. Yep. Uh, but so I think organizations, kind of post COVID, having that conversation, kind of, as we mentioned around, you know, what. What, what's effective? What, what do we really lean on when um, when shit hits the fan? <laughs> what, what do we really lean on? What, what's there that's really important to us and, and what's not so important? And maybe we should have that conference. And it's going to be different, I would assume, for every organization. I mean, you obviously can't paint that with some wide swath of brush.
1: No, but look, I think um, I think, you know, down to basics, like you said, you know, people... People are always the most important thing. Um, you know, relationships and, and, and free flow of information and communication is always always yeah. the most important thing. Everyone in the organisation having a really solid, aligned understanding of the way that work happens um, and, and, and the risks and um, right. people face and the support that they need to do their job mm-hmm. is really important. So if you're, a, if you're a safety practitioner or a manager now, you're going, okay, you know, my people are really important. Um, getting, you know, information flowing in my organisation is really important. Knowing how work happens and what people need is really important. And kind of that's, that's the safety formula, you know? That's, yeah. that's it. It's not much more complicated than that.
0: Well, And, and that's, that's where I like to kind of point people in that direction to start when, you, when, when organizations finally get to the point of starting down that path of going, okay, maybe we can talk about getting rid of some of this just let's just call it BS. We'll just use the BS term. We'll okay. Some some of some of this 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 clunk. Some of this BS that just, just fills our our safety manual to make it three hundred pages. Um, how do we, let's go down the path of getting rid of it? I think that's a really great great spot for place, for organizations to start. Is that if any of that gets in the way. If you have any any policy, any rule, anything in that manual and those procedures um, that gets in the way of that free flow of information or gets in the way of creating an environment in which honesty is possible, uh, then it should probably go away pretty fast, right? That's that's probably, probably the great place to start because I think anyone that's been in one of these organizations, you can kind of like close your eyes and imagine at least a handful of those policies where you're like, it's in direct contradiction of that right um, yeah and look you're exactly right there are <laughs> <laughs>
1: there are things that we do um there's things that we do with incident investigation there's things that we do with audit mm. there's things that we do with, with a whole range of um of processes in our business that we put in place in the name of safety which um which really don't create safety and you know in some of the things that you know we've written it you know in the Griffith Uni lab that um that I'm part of, you know, we've, we've actually pointed out to organizations, how those things actually um, run counter to your safety management efforts and actually create, you know, unsafety, you know, so it might be, it might be ironic for people to think that these things that we're doing for safety are actually creating less safety, but that's actually what's happening in, in a lot of businesses. You know, the more that you push the lever on some of these, you know, safety, safety processes, the more that um, they, they actually, um, you know, create less safety in your business.
0: But it all no, sounds, people. No, it all sounds right. It all sounds like it. You audit harder, right? If you just audit harder and beat people, it'll work, right? That's how that. <laughs> and it's funny, you know. I was
1: having this conversation. Um, actually, I was having this conversation yesterday, recording one of our podcasts with um, uh-huh. with Drew Ray, and and you know, use use that kind of um, example, which is like, um, you know, people don't kind of sit back and think about their their particular safety practices and, and how they're received by the people who are meant to be kept safe by them, you know? And, and if you just went and asked the people about some of those safety practices, they'd get a maybe a little bit of a rude shock about how people feel yeah. about them.
0: Well, that's the that's the unfortunate part is that usually by the time that you get to that point of going out and doing either some type of listening sessions or um, even if it's something less formal and just going out and asking, what do you think about this? It's usually already in full swing, full effect. It's been out for a few years, and you're going, oh god, <laughs> right? Yeah, now you're at the point of okay, how do we how do we how do we reverse out of some of this damage, right? And I think that that lends itself back to some of the conversation we we're just having on micro experimentation. Um, trying things on a small scale, kind of testing and asking, I think, I think goes a long way. And I think that's one place where a lot of organizations kind of fumble. Um, because a lot of times we'll see something, whether it's in a crew, um, again, back to my kind of point on benchmarking across utilities, we're notorious for that. Right? We'll, yeah. we'll Go, Oh, look at what they're doing. That looks really cool. Instead of bringing back a little piece of that and trying it, kind of planting that seed and seeing if it would work for our organizations, we go, nope, we're just doing that. <laughs> right? And we just, just organization wide. And, and that's the way many organizations approach that. It looks right. It sounds right. It smells right. It seems like it would work. And without any input from the organization, whether it's a group of safety practitioners or often well above that in the organization, we go, this is what we're doing. And we don't try first. We should try before yeah. we buy in a lot of, in a lot of yeah. situations, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, look, that was my, my approach when I first started trying to, um, well, when I first started properly trying to uh, maybe um, micro-experiment with, with mm. what we'd probably know as safety differently or safety too. All I did in my organization because I was a head of safety in a pretty large organization is I just went to the manager responsible for the area that had the the worst safety performance from a lagging indicator point of view. Right. And the organization, there was a lot of pressure on that business. The organization was already telling that management team that they didn't know you know, how to manage because they couldn't manage safety and that. Right. Right. So I just went up to that manager and that team and said, look, you know, Guys, what have, you got, what have you got to lose? <laughs> what have you got to lose? Let it? me, I've gone, <laughs> let me, let's, let's play around in your in your part of the business and um, let me run cover for you, for the organisation. Let the organisation know that I'm, you know, as the head of safety, I'm working closely with you guys to help you out because the organisation expects me as the safety guy to um, to help the area of the business that's poorly performing and you guys, you know, you guys, um, <laughs> you really, so, so <laughs> that's the advice. You know, if you're a practitioner, you want to micro-experiment, find, you know, this is from an organisational find the parts of your organisation that the organisation thinks is a basket case when it comes to um, safety and you'll find a, you know, hopefully you'll find a pretty willing management team to go, yeah, look, um, try something different, run some cover for me. And we, we turn, you know, and and my micro experiment there um, and we all know the challenges of lagging indicators, but we, we, um, We connected to the workforce, we solved their problems, we developed the frontline leadership teams, we created all of this stuff that we now know as as safety too. And over a couple of years, they went from, you know, the the worst performing part of the business from a lagging indicator to the best performing, not only um, within the organisation, but within their industry globally in what they did. And so then you go okay well well then you know so then you've got license from there that's the that's the ultimate micro experiment because then you got yeah. license to go okay let's roll this through the business and 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 then yeah. we end up you know the work I was doing ended up in the first safety differently documentary that Sydney Decker produced yeah. and and that was you know that was it but it all started with a micro experiment you know and 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 just finding part of the organization that was willing
0: yeah, I, I love that. That's so awesome. And what's what's just great about that because you're you're getting to play in that that much smaller sandbox, and you you can you can quickly say, okay, okay, that doesn't work, or this is great, and we can move this bit around, and we can rather than failing on that large organizational okay. scale, right, and then as a practitioner, losing potentially losing a ton of credibility, or maybe even a job. <laughs> right? We have the opportunity to kind of, kind of seek out how that plays out in our organization on that, that smaller scale, because it it is, it is wacky to see that again, utilities are notorious for that to just go, that looks great. Cookie cutter that into our organization and everything will be fine. And some of that has to do with, with, we're kind of, I think uh, in my opinion, um, I think a lot of organizations looking for that easy button to kind of slam the easy button yep. and go just just paste that in paste this set of tools in paste that set of tools in and then everything's fine we don't have to worry about any of the the stuff behind yeah. those things if we just put this new program into this new thing in yeah look um,
1: yeah yeah i agree look organizational scale change is um is really hard it's probably next to impossible from a safety practitioner's kind of seat and you know i think a couple of utility organizations have 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 tried that um and um, I think you see that the, the challenges with doing that. So someone in in your part of the woods, you know, it's sort of associated with um with uh, utilities like someone like Beth Lay at Lewis Tree there in the US. Like they've done some amazing stuff organizational wide, but they're really coming at it top down. And um and it's slow. It's it's hard, and you might be familiar with someone like um I know you've had uh, Steve Harvey and Tony McConaughey on the pod and um and from you know a business in australia a a water utility business and they started top down and they've been at it for a couple of years but if you're trying to manage everything that can can come up with an organizational kind of scale of change it's really hard to make progress um so i think i think something more organic and something more um more targeted is going to yield quicker
0: and, and that's 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 the interesting part that I found, um, at least in the utility space. It seems like those kind of initiatives almost start as this organic grassroots, almost as like, almost, I, I don't want to sound, uh, I don't want to sound bad when I say this or folks take this the wrong way, but it almost starts as like a frontline guerrilla style resistance within the organization. That's like, we're doing things differently, <laughs> You'll find that leader that's tired and fed up. Maybe maybe they're not in the rears in the organization, but they're just done, right? They're just done, kind of in the same space as we mentioned. As practitioners, yeah. we're like done. <laughs> you know, they're, they're done. They 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 just had that feeling of okay, this is stupid. We need to do something <laughs> different. And when you finally kind of come across that that manager or leader that's willing to just kind of risk it. And, and kind of go forth with almost this guerrilla warfare style of, of front, front yeah. change in their own organization. Because in utilities, you're, you're going to have this location here, this location there, this power plant, this, that, this, the other thing. So you have all these little small scale cultures throughout the organization, right? So you finally find one that's like, we're doing it different. And as you kind of said in, in, your, in your example, it, it aligns very, very much with, with kind of my experiences. You'll see that change and then all of a sudden everyone takes notice. We kind of go oh well we didn 't expect that to happen <laughs> right,, yeah. and then you almost start on both ends, which which I, I know we, do, we don 't have those conversations a lot of times, but you know we almost uh, at least in the utility space that i 've seen it almost has has been driven from from both ends. you clearly have to have to work on some some stuff in the c You you clearly have to I mean, that's going to be the ultimate direction of the organization, right? I mean, they're ultimately going to put the foot down and go, absolutely not or for sure, right? So you, you clearly have to work there. But I've, I've seen so much of that change, I think, in the utility world come from getting into trying to target the underlying assumptions and really focus on those things in the organization, right? Because a lot of times we'll see, we'll change a values poster and put it on the wall. We'll paste in some human performance tools yeah. and... And say, well, this will eliminate errors in our organization. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll throw some other stuff out there. But we don't actually work on the underlying assumptions on which all of that stuff should be predicated upon,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Look, I think you've touched on something critically important to safety practitioners, is just their ability to change the organization one conversation at a time.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And
1: so, like when you talked about frontline managers, the person who's fed up is go and have a conversation, say, oh, you know, what do you think about this audit? And you'll get a manager go, Yeah, yeah, it's good, it's good, it's good, yep, we need it. Ah, uh, yeah. And what do you, you really what do you really think about? Then they shut their door and tell you the real conversation. Right? And then what do you really think about this audit, man? Just tell me what you really think, and then you'll get you'll get the picture and, and you go, Man, look, I'm with you. I'm with you. So how do we how do we change this? And and I think yeah. what you're talking about in terms of like the organization's underlying assumptions, um, and it's, you know, everything from how do we create safety and how do accidents get caused and what happens and, mm-hmm. and you know, people, you know, the safety practitioner, people should feel like that the organisation looks to them for like how they talk about safety and how they understand safety and the conversations they have, you know, should shape the way that the organisation um, thinks about about safety. So every single word that comes out of a safety professionals or practitioners mouth is critically important to shaping the organization. If they're just joining in the the conversation about, Oh yeah, this worker messed up. Then that's a lost opportunity to have a conversation with the business about, about work and the challenges of work and and everything like that. So, you know, a story I'd give is an example I had when, you know, sitting around a management team reviewing an incident report of a person who'd done something on an offshore oil platform and the talk was, well, they didn't follow the management of change procedure and, and they they didn't, you know, speak up and stop the job and yeah. they um, you know, and we're 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 sacking them or we're moving them on. And I'm like, well, in that management, you know, let me let me tell you a different story about about, you know, this this team that were offshore at the end of a shutdown and they'd been working for six weeks and um, you know, engineering hadn't sent the right information to procurement and procurement hadn't sent them the right lifting gear and they didn't have the equipment they needed and they They stopped and they tried to problem solve and they created a safe environment to test, you know, this, this particular activity and it didn't work. And then they put their hand up and said, look, we tried this. It didn't work. Can you send us out the correct piece of kit? Perfect. Absolutely perfect way you want your organization to run. And all the organization could do is go, oh, there's been an incident. So we, we need to blame the workforce. And, you know, Took kind of my role as a safety professional to step in and and change the company's narrative around that incident Mm. and to change the way that they thought about how safety gets created. So I just wanted to hone in on that because um, what you touched on there, um, yeah, that's the number one thing. You know, for safety practitioners, everything that comes out of your mouth in relation to safety will shape the way the company thinks about safety.
0: Absolutely, I I think you can you have a, a massive opportunity to help set the tone in the organization. Right. I think you have a massive opportunity and I shared that with someone the other day uh, because in, in, uh, in kind of my normal nine to five day job, when, when we had went through <laughs> this, this kind of thing of going, okay, we're ready. We, we want to, we're going to, we're going to go in this direction now. Um, a lot of what led up to that was was several practitioners, just not shutting up, <laughs> right? <to> that point. <laughs> when, when you're tasked, you know, as we all kind of find ourselves in that, in that situation as, as a safety person, would you like to give a message? absolutely i 've got a great message <laughs> so any time you get that opportunity to set that tone well anytime you get that opportunity to shape that narrative to put out some of those uh, some of those key points, you shouldn 't miss that opportunity yeah right? you, 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 you know, and I get it, I get it, but you know if you 're given that opportunity to speak in front of the executives in your organization. You probably shouldn't go up and talk to them about heat stress awareness, right? Let's, let, let's, let's set the tone now. Let's go have that. Let's go have that conversation, <laughs> right? That's yeah. What, and look, uh, a you, lot of great opportunities.
1: you're completely right. And um, I mean, I agree with you. I think, um, I mean, if the organization doesn't look to the safety practitioner to help um, shape and understand how to manage safety, like what? The, you know what the heck the, is the role there for so so whether you like it or not um, you've you've got that opportunity, and um, you should absolutely grab it with both hands and I would yeah. say I suppose um, Sam I'd probably suggest of having being clear on what your key four or five messages are, like i've said a couple during this conversation about you know strong things that are in, you know that I think are important um, to keep you know communicating to the organization, but have those four or five really core messages. Have, a, have those scripts and narratives really well rehearsed and really yeah. targeted. And so if you ever get that opportunity, whether it's in a team meeting, a leadership meeting, a, a, an organizational address or an email or something, you can trot out the appropriate narrative in a really yeah. well-crafted form and not just stand there as the safety practitioner when a CEO throws to you and you go, oh, no, I've got uh, nothing okay. else to say.
0: Yeah, get that. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh. yeah, exactly. i i had a, uh, I had an old uh, an, an old time leader that always hounded us, and it was one of the best things ever, though, in the kind of the long run, to always have your elevator pitch ready, right? To yeah. always have it ready. And as a safety practitioner, you should, right? Because you, you don't know when you're going to have that opportunity, right? You you might have that opportunity uh, to 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 change a, to change a mind very quickly.
1: And I did that. So, so story, story time. Um, I, (laughs) I hopped in a, so last, my last real job, um, when I was the head of safety oil and gas company hopped in, literally hopped in an elevator with the chairman (laughs) of the board of directors. Right. And, um, just the two of us. And, um, and he looked at me and he said, how's our recordable injury rate going? And I just went, man, you're the chairman of the board. I'm the head of safety. We're running an oil and gas company of all the conversations that we could have in the next 30 seconds. Why? And I just, I said, why have you asked me about our injury rate? And he just looked at me and said, because that's what you guys always talk about. He goes, I don't, you know, it's of no interest to me, but I'm trying to show you that I care about safety and I'm taking interest in, you know, in, in the injury rate. And I'm like, okay, well, here's the type of conversation that we're going to have from now on about about our business, about about people, about risk, um, about what's happening today and what's happening next week in our in our company, and what you as the chairman of the board and what I need to do to to shape the way that that work happens. And we never had a conversation about injury rates ever again. Um, and it was like it was literally an elevator conversation um, that, that's so cool. you know, that, that, happened. And, and that's just, that, that's it. You know, if you miss that opportunity, if I had said our, our, our rate is 1.5 and it's down from 1.6 last month, mm-hmm. he would have walked out the elevator, shaking his head, going, oh geez, those safety people, like yeah. what, what the heck does 1.6 mean? Like, you know, <laughs> and I would have walked off, I would have walked off shaking my head going, you know, why did the chairman ask me about injury rates again? Surely they don't understand safety. So just have the conversation. Be prepared to have it. And if you get an opportunity, just kick the door down and have the conversation.
0: Well, that, That's such an interesting point that you bring up. And, and I know we're, we're pushing on the end of time here a little bit, so I won't, I won't dive too deep into it. But I, th- I think that is something that is very interesting. Um, we'd mentioned it a little bit with kind of frontline, the CEO, but it, it's all over the organization, kind of these misunderstandings of each other. And we can break down a lot of those walls just by having that conversation ready and, and actually having it. Right. Because I think uh, I think a great example is um, a lot. I spent a lot of time personally in uh, kind of listening sessions and focus groups and that kind of stuff, pulsing organizations. And you get this 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 wildly different view and even pulsing CEOs of organizations. And they get this kind of view of the front line as just kind of sitting in a break room with their feet up, you know, <laughs> just hanging out, wasting company time, you know. And then you talk to the front line, and they kind of have this image of the CEO on the 20th floor with their feet on their desk, sipping scotch, you know, putting <laughs> putting golf balls into a cup, you know, you know, type of thing. And, you know, just having that conversation breaks down a lot of that, those misconceptions, just almost instantly, right? And yeah. I think not, not only is it a, a great story around uh, the ability to shape minds in that direction, but but just to better understand each other in general, because a lot of times, and again, another, another kind of sidetrack off of the story is um, we have set this stuff up. Our profession has kind of built this cult around uh, or the safety cult. And now we're, we're worried that people actually became members, right? <laughs> that that we, we built this cult around incident rates. And now we're surprised that, that the CEO is concerned with incident rates, right?
1: So to kind yeah, of tear listen.
0: some of that old stuff down and go, no, no, listen, that's not me. That might have been whoever, but we're moving in a different direction now. And look, is, please, is look really
1: the, and the safety profession got caught out. Like, and and we, we and I, we got caught out by the rapid rise in the importance of this topic to organizations. Yeah. And we were just really immature about our, our techniques for managing it and our, our, our ideas around it. And, and companies went, okay, now we want to get serious about safety. And we just weren't ready. For, yeah. to help our companies get get serious. Yeah. It's a bit like the, you know, the, the Elon Musk of, of safety, you know, which is like um, companies suddenly said, we want to do this in 10 years. And then they look back at their safety department, and the safety department's gone, looked at their forms and their processes and went, <laughs> oh, actually, <laughs> we're not geared up to help you with this. So, right. you know, you know most of the safety just doubled down, just doubled down on what they knew and yeah. what they were currently doing. And,
0: yep. you know, organise that. Some lot, yep. Yeah,
1: some, same thing harder and, and expecting different results, and and so you've got some safety practitioners that are that are still doubling down. You know, they're still driving really hard, and um, and 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 you know, butting up against their organisations and trying to you know get out from the rooftops and claim relevance. Yeah. And then you've got other practitioners that have that have got that have um, you know tried to figure out what other options are available to them to to try to make this work. And yeah. you know, I think that's where it, this kind of juncture now, and and you're seeing. The, the groups that are going down the different paths and it's not always friendly and not always helpful in, in, um, in, in the safety world that we're, we're on such, you know, that there's, there's camps in, in very different locations. But I think that's, maybe that's necessary for us to break through. You know, maybe maybe people um, people need to be out there setting up camps in different locations and, and, and trying different things. And, you know, hopefully it all comes back together at some point in the next couple yeah. of years as, as we see what works.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So let me let me um, let me throw this out there to you. Um, ForgeWorks, what's uh, explain to people a little bit about ForgeWorks and all that kind of stuff that you got going on?
1: Ah, uh, look, um, and look, uh, wait, in so,
0: so, the podcast, you got to talk about the podcast and all the other cool stuff because we kind of joke around about you know like we're busy, but I think you're just as busy as everybody else. So I want uh, to yeah, about look, all look, busy um, stuff look, you got going on. <laughs>
1: Yeah, look, I'm, I'm, you know, we're we're really busy. So, so a couple of things. So, so thanks for the opportunity, um, Sam. Look, ForgeWorks. Look, it's, a, you know, we're a safety consultancy. We um and, and people can come and find us. And, and you know, the coolest thing that we're doing at the moment is we're we're just about to issue a white paper about, um, like we said, how how organisation can map their their future of the safety of work. So we've yeah, we've cool. developed our own um organisational safety diagnostic, which we think kind of goes far beyond what you know the existing diagnostics around around culture and climate can do and try to tackle this, this view of what are all those things in an organisation that contribute to managing safety and what does the progression look like between from a compliance approach through a cultural approach through to a resilience kind of um, hop kind of approach. So we've kind of mapped all that out. That'll come out. There'll be a 40- or 50-page um, blueprint that'll come out um, freely available to people of, of how to do that journey. And and we've got a lot of tools behind to support that. So that's, that's kind of the Forgeworks, the Forgeworks story. And, um, and then, you know, we just, yesterday, just Drew Ray um, and I recorded episode number 50 of the Safety of Work podcast, which yeah. will um, drop in a little while. So we're still having a lot of fun with that project. And, and um, we're probably nowhere near the the community that you've got around your podcast, Sam, but we've got, you know, we've got a good little group of followers who who love what we're doing there as well.
0: That's um, so cool.
1: And then the most exciting, the thing that I'm probably most excited about is, um, what, what you might have seen or some of your listeners might've seen, um, in relation to safety futures, which is this, this, this brand that we've launched. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've, you know, what, what I've done and, is um is written a twelve week boot camp for safety professionals, and we're calling it Advanced oh, cool. Safety Professional Practice. And it's like come, come and join me for twelve weeks, and we're going to give you all of the core capabilities that you need to really be effective in your role. So they're going to come along, they're going to get you know the content, the coaching, and um and the workplace based activities is go into your job and do these twenty or twenty five things in the next twelve weeks. Yeah, it's going to be really cool, and so. You know, and and the five core modules is kind of how to create influence for yourself in your organisation, how to manage risk, how to build um, safety systems and processes, how to how to um, lead change, and how to really facilitate organisational learning. Um, and it's 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 cool, man. I was up last night, kind of writing writing the program and and doing it and going, oh man, this is this is kind of what I've been um, you know, what I've learned over the last 20 years, what I've, what I've kind of researched and I've kind of put it down in 50 or 60,000 words for people to come along over 12 weeks and hopefully get a kick
0: along in their careers. That's so, that's, that's so needed. That's so needed. I'm I'm excited. I'm pumped listening to you talk about this. Like that's so cool.
1: (laughs) Yeah, look, it's, 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 it's project. It's a project that I've been sort of, um, focused on in the background, you know, when I started my PhD, um, five or six years ago and, you know this idea of this idea of, um, this idea of um, how can I contribute to enhancing the the effectiveness of the global safety profession? You know that's been my mission. Um, everything we do, whether it's a consulting project, you know we we're in there with the safety teams in organisations trying to, you know, help grow them. And 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 this project as well is like my my hope is that you know I can play some kind of small part in in improving the effectiveness of our profession. Like we talked about earlier, you know the relevance, the contribution that it makes, and um, and the centrality of it to organizations, and that's um, and so all these little projects are kind of pointing in that direction, and it's um, it's really cool.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. So, and and the podcast is amazing. Let me let me back up a little bit. I got I got all excited about about <laughs> the other project here, and I got all pumped. So now let me back up and say that the podcast is absolutely awesome, and it sounds like you're you've got some amazing. Um, so the, the kind of rollout blueprint guide you're talking about with Forgeworks, did you say that that was free, that that was going to be freely available? To
1: oh you? yeah. Well, you know, it's one of those things that you go, well, you might have to give me your email address, but, um, yeah, but, no, um but, so I can so,
0: but I'm um, sure that sounds like a pretty reasonable trade to me. Yeah. Yeah. We're
1: going to, we're going <laughs> to, we're, we're going we're gonna to be helpful and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to put it out there because I think, awesome. you know, that's the sort of thing you, you have to put your ideas out there and, and you have to put them in the hands of practitioners and it'll be enough for a lot of practitioners to pick it up and go, actually, this provides me the direction I need. And then there's yeah. going to be other companies like, you know, other companies that pick it up and go, you know, we want some help with, with how to do this. And, um, yeah. and that's good for us as well. But, um, but yeah, so, so if you, if, if people are thinking about, oh, geez, I'm going to do a survey or I, I want to do a culture assessment, it's like, just, just, just let there's other options. There's another option for you now. And, um and there's been a, you know, we we've spent a few months doing that and we've, we've worked it with a few organizations and, um, and made it work. So that's, that's coming. Yeah,
0: that's cool. That is so awesome. So, how can, uh, in addition to all of that stuff, how can people get a hold of you? Where where can they find you? Is there any one eight hundred get a hold of you? Know, anything like that? <laughs> look, um,
1: <laughs> look. Judging by the amount of people who um, who contact me to help me out with my finances, um, it's <laughs>
0: yeah. it's really
1: really easy to find me. Um, but probably <laughs> the, the simplest way for people to get in touch is um, is just um, is is just hit me up on LinkedIn. You know, and I'll 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 eventually message you back. Um, hopefully pretty quickly. And um, there's there's plenty of other channels, but that's the easiest way for people to find me.
0: Gotcha. So let me let me ask you this because I always have to ask because we're, we're right at the end. Um, any I don't know how this happened, but any final words? Any any last words that you would like to share with, uh, in particular, safety practitioners? That, that's a ton of my audience, or safety practitioners. Um, anything? Any just pro tip, any advice, anything that's on your heart that you'd like to share with them, just whatever, any, anything that's on your mind that you'd like to put in the ear of safety practitioners. Out put,
1: there. put in the ear a couple of, um, a couple of key tips, I suppose, is um, you have to create space in your role. So um, get the space to think, get the space to connect with people in your business. So don't, don't judge your, your success by how full your calendar is, but actually judge your success by whether or not you can create you know, 50% of your time to, um, to go after the things that are important to you. Um, focus on the safety of work, not all the safety work stuff that you're doing. Um, and I suppose, you know, credit to yourself, Sam, just, um, you know, be more of yourself every day at work. You know, don't try and think about how does the organisation want me to be a safety practitioner? Just how do I want to be a safety practitioner um, or safety professional and, um, and, and go forward with that?
0: Yeah. Spot on. I, nothing to add. I love it. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Well, thank you for coming on my friend.
1: Cool, man. Thank you. Thank you.
0: I like it. I love it. I just got to have more of it. Exactly. How much fun was that conversation? I have to tell you, um, I'm so happy uh, that I finally had the opportunity to connect with Dave it's been a long time coming. <laughs> it really has. Um, it, schedules have just not uh, not been conducive to this happening yet. And they finally happened, and I'm so excited. The star is finally aligned, and we finally got to have this conversation. And I look forward to doing it again. I know I say that a bunch, but I just throw that out there because... I, Our guests are absolutely amazing. So let me pause and say thank you to all the amazing folks that have come on to the Hop Nerd podcast. Uh, You folks always have an open invite to return. So I say that because if you want to come on and chat, you just got to text me. You got to call 1-800-THE-HOP-NERD. That's not a real thing. Don't do that. Um, You know how to find me. Go slide into the DMs, do something like that, and just say, let's do that again. And we will do that again. Uh, Same thing. For everyone else out there, if you know somebody that we should have on, let me know. Again, one 800 is not going to work, but I do have that handy-dandy text number. You can text me. You can call me. The easiest thing to do is slide into the DMs, send me an email at sam at thehotnerd.com or thehotnerd at gmail.com. Just get a hold of me. Um, a really super easy way is if there's someone that you would like to see featured on this podcast, if there's a conversation that you would like for us to have, head on over and uh, tag both of us on Instagram and say, hey, you two. You guys should do a podcast. Y'all, there we go, let me throw in my southern twang, y'all should do a podcast. And uh, I got to tell you, it it will more than likely happen. (laughs) It will more than likely happen. So uh, if you want to get involved, if you want to kind of steer the ship there a little bit about who we're going to have on, you can. I'll gladly let you just say who and just say what and we'll make it happen. Well, that's all I've got. I've got to tell you, today was great. Uh, Only thing that I would say is go back and listen to this one again. Dave drops all kinds of amazing, awesome knowledge, wisdom, all that stuff there. So go back, listen to it again, maybe once, twice, three times. Three times might be the charm. But that's all I've got. Sam Goodman, the Hot Nerd, signing off. Bye, everybody. Bye. Hey, you. Yeah, you. I've got a question for you. Sam Goodman here, founder, Hop University. Founder, The Hop Nerd Podcast. Co-founder, Project Visible, all that kind of stuff. You guys know everything to do. I don't know why I'm saying this. But more importantly, I'm the founder of Pale Horse Media Co. You can find us at palehorsemedia.co or Co.com. I'm telling you this because have you ever thought about wanting to do a podcast? Yeah, we can help you with that. You got an idea for an awesome book? Hell, you have a manuscript already? Yeah, we can help you with that too. Head over to palehorsemedia.co for more information. We do everything from cover design to typesetting to graphic design. We do intro, outro, everything for podcasts that you would ever need. So when you listen to podcasts and go, how the hell did they do that? We can help you be the person that does those things. Again, head over to palehorsemediaco.com or palehorsemedia.co.